At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. How many brought their Bibles today and are excited to get into the Word of God? You know, we've been in this series called Overflow, and I love the title of this series, Overflow, From Him to Us for All, the series on generosity. And that word overflow is a word picture, as I've been saying, that really helps us to understand what God expects, what we should expect from Scripture to happen in our hearts whenever we are obedient in the grace of giving. Whenever we are living in a way that seeks to find needs, to meet needs, to express God's generosity. We are expressing his character in the world and he promises us joy. Last week we read about that. Uh, Scripture says that God loves a who? Okay, you guys were here last week. All right, let's try it again. God loves a who? Cheerful giver. So Paul connects cheerfulness or joy to giving, and that's what the overflow is all about. Out of his abundance, he gives to us grace upon grace so that we can show others the generosity of Jesus. But today we get a chance to really zero in on the why. Why is God so generous to us, and why should we be generous to others? We're going to be picking up the story uh, that Paul course for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I want you to join me there, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, as we think about being generous, this is countercultural. How many of you know that generosity is countercultural? Not just for the 21st century where we are inundated with hyper-consumerism, but it's always been countercultural. I was reading uh, this week, Tim Keller has a great book on generosity, and Tim Keller tells of of how the Christians of the first century were strikingly different than the pagan cultures that they lived in. And he described it this way. He said, the pagans of the first century were known for being stingy with their money and promiscuous with their bodies. They gave their money to virtually no one and they gave their bodies to practically anyone. But the Christians, on the other hand, were known for being generous with their money and stingy with their bodies. Christians gave their money to practically everyone, and they reserved their bodies for one, the one that they were married to. I love that description of Christianity, that description of our morality, our ethics, the way that we live in the world. This is the way that we reflect the character of God through his generosity in this countercultural type of way, not letting our possessions possess us. You know, I read across this quote this week as well from this 17th century Puritan. His name is Thomas Watson. He's worth you Googling and learning a little bit about. He wrote on generosity as well. And Thomas Watson uh, said this, he says, water is good for ships because it helps them to sail. But if the water gets in the ship in, in, in abundance, that ship will drown. That good thing causes it to drown. He says, similar fashion, 
Money is good for men because it helps us to accomplish God's will. But if the love of money gets deep in our soul, we too will drown as well. His warning was, it's okay to have possessions, but just don't let your possessions possess you. And that's really what Paul is getting at throughout these writings to the Corinthian church, to these Corinthian Christians. They're living in a city of abundance and affluence. But he wants them to understand that you've been blessed to be a blessing, that God has given to us so that we might give to others. That's the big idea, friends. This is the whole point and the whole thrust. When we teach our children about money, hopefully we've learned this lesson as well. What is the purpose of money? What is the the purpose of anything? Well, that's a great question. And you know, throughout the ages, the church has tried to answer these questions, these big questions, like what's the purpose of life through these things called catechisms. Anybody ever heard of a catechism before? Now, a catechism is kind of like a Bible study, but it's done in Q&A style. A question will be posed and then scriptures will be given to support an answer to the question. One of the most famous of catechisms is the Westminster Catechism. And the Westminster Catechism starts with this question, what is the chief end of man? What is the ultimate purpose of humanity? And the response is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's it, friends. The the purpose for which we were created is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So why did he give us money? Why does he give us resources? Why does he bless the works of our hands? Why does he prosper us in many ways, even above measure quite often? It's because money is a tool simply given by God for the purposes of accomplishing his will. Again, from him to us for all. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We left off last week in verse number 7, so we'll pick up in verse number 8. Now again, in verse number 7, he connected generosity to joy or cheerfulness. Look at what he does in verse number 8. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. One of the things that Paul does to motivate us to give is to remind us of the character of our God. And the first point that I want you to make sure you draw in on is that our motivation for giving is based off of our trust in the all-sufficiency of God. We trust that God is all-sufficient and that he will supply all of our needs. Now, every culture has its own approach to motivating morality. Now, what is morality? Morality is the difference between right and wrong. Why should you do right and why should you avoid wrong? Now, in Paul's day, much like in our day, most of the cultures were driven by what you call shame and honor. That's the motivation for morality, shame and honor. And here's the way shame and honor cultures work. Uh, it, it, it works this way, that whatever promotes your reputation or the way people see you, that's honor, you should do. That's the definition of right. Whatever takes away from your reputation, causes you to look bad in the eyes of others, 
that's the definition of wrong or shame. There is no objectivity. It simply is based off of reputation. Does my reputation increase in the eyes of people if I do this, or does my reputation decrease? But Christianity is not based off of shame and honor primarily. It is based off of divine command that is steeped in the character of God. In other words, our motivation for doing what is right is based off of what God has commanded. And the reason why we do what God has commanded is because of his character. And this is what Paul is doing in verse number eight. He is motivating them to be generous by reminding them of the character of God. Look at verse number eight again. And God is able. I could preach all day on that, but I'm going to keep reading. For God is able to make all grace abound to you. In other words, what Paul wants them to see is that we are generous because God is generous. We are gracious because God is gracious. The heart of generosity starts with the foundational understanding that I have received grace upon grace upon grace, unmerited, undeserved, in abundance, God has been good to me. How many believe that? That God has been good to you? And how many testify that you have received grace upon grace upon grace? That has to be at the core of who you are. But notice what Paul says. Paul says that God is able to supply all that we need. Look at what he says. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is Paul's way. This term, all sufficiency, this is Paul's way of saying he'll give you everything you need to do what he's called you to do. There are times in my life and no doubt in yours where you may question whether or not you have everything you need for the task that God has set before you. Have you ever uh, faced a task or a sense of call from God and you look and say, uh, my resume doesn't match up, my bank account doesn't match up, my abilities don't match up? But what Paul wants us to know is that there's no assignment that God gives us that he does not give us also with it all the resources that we need. And I love that he says these these words, all sufficiency, because what he wants us to understand there is that he's able to meet both our material and spiritual needs, both material and spiritual. He gives seed to the sower. We see that in verse number 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. He'll give you what you need. In other words, if there is a desire in your heart for generosity, God will give you what you need in order to be generous. But he also will give you the spiritual resources you need. And oftentimes it's the spiritual resources that are most needed, even above and beyond the material resources. Notice what he does in verse number nine. He connects our giving Now to righteousness, he says, quoting Psalm 112, verse number nine, he says, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. In other words, I will give you both the resources practically you need, as well as the spiritual resources you need in order to express the grace of God 
to those that I've placed on your heart. You know, recently you've heard me talking just about every week about our burden for India. You've heard me bring this up in many of my sermons and conversations, so please forgive me for doing it again. But I think we've watched the international news, and I think we all know that the situation is dire and the need is great. But here's the challenge over these past several weeks is we as a team have tried to call our missionary partners and encourage their hearts. There's been so many obstacles for us to express the love of God to them through our generosity. One of the big obstacles, and they shared this with me probably the first week that we begin to hear of the devastating situations they are going through, is that because of government policies, sending money is not possible, at least in the way that we've traditionally uh, done it. And so what do you do when you know there's a huge need, but your partners are telling you that sending resources in a traditional way just does not work? Well, we begin to pray, and God fulfilled on this passage of Scripture. He gave us what we needed in order to be able to uh, show the love and the grace of God. Earlier this week, we uh, got a call from one of our missionary partners and said there is a policy in India where we can send these oxygen concentrators. And these oxygen concentrators allow uh, those who are going through COVID to be able to get the needed oxygen uh, that their bodies so desperately uh, require. The government has run out. The hospitals have run out. As a matter of fact, the government has encouraged uh, uh, those uh, residents of India to reach out to friends and family members, whoever you can. And so uh, our team got on top of that and, and began to find suppliers so that we can meet that need. And our prayer is that in uh, the weeks to come, we'll be able uh, to stand up and to meet that need. How many think that's a good thing? How many think that's a really uh, good thing? See, God, God is able to give grace and he gives grace so that when he's placed in our hearts and he's placed before us the opportunity to be able to be generous on his behalf, to meet needs on his behalf, that we'll have the, the wisdom and the resources needed in order to be able to accomplish the task. This is exactly what uh, Paul wants us to be able to see, that God is able to supply seed and to multiply it so that there can be a harvest, harvest of righteousness in us and a harvest of meeting the needs of the people in them. And all of it for God's glory, all of it is a part of what it means to be spiritual family. Paul also wants us to see here that we have everything we need uh, to be generous. We have everything we need to be generous. And I know sometimes we can feel like we don't have enough to be generous. Anybody ever been there before? Anybody ever been there before? Three of you, praise God. Grateful for that, right? But, but we've all been there in a season where we felt like, man, I don't, I don't have enough uh, to be generous. And sometimes I like to remind myself of how blessed I am, how blessed we are. And so one of the tools that I use, and I would encourage you to do this, uh, you go on, on, on the internet and you type in Global Wealth Calculator, Global Wealth Calculator, and it probably will take you to a website that simply says, how rich am I? And it compares uh, 
the, your, your average household income to the rest of the world? How do you rank in wealth compared to the rest of the world? You'll be blown away. For example, a modest income, household income of $50,000. Modest household income of $50,000 ranks in the top 1.5% globally as far as wealth. The rest of the world sees our abundance and they recognize that God has been merciful and gracious to us. In this country, not only do we have cars, I mean, uh, houses rather for people, but we got garages, which most of the world sees as a house for cars. We got houses for us and houses for our cars and those houses for our cars is where we put all the junk that we can't use in our normal house. Uh, this is the way that we have been blessed. And I bring all of this up, not to make anyone feel guilty, but to recognize that we have to start where we are and all of us have been blessed at a place where we can start. We can uh, be generous. And as God supplies opportunity, he'll also multiply faithfulness. That as we are faithful in generosity, God will multiply that so that we will be able to meet more needs. This is what it means to excel, to excel in the grace of giving. And throughout this whole chapter, what Paul has said again and again and again, is just as you have excelled in every other grace of service, excel in generosity as well. So the first thing he wants us to do is to trust God's all-sufficiency. The second thing he wants us to do as we read the rest of this paragraph is to pursue the deeper fruit of giving. Look at what it says in verse number 11 through 15. It says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you. Because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. You know, when we read this in the English, it's hard to see the passion of Paul in the original language. He is writing with a passionate pen. When he closes with this exclamation point, he is saying as if he is praising God with a choir or an orchestra. Thanks be to God for the way he's designed the body of Christ. Because we are spiritual family, we are able to meet one another's needs, thereby not depending on this world system, but depending upon God and his grace and generosity through us. How many thank God for that, that we are connected one to another? There's so much happening here, but what Paul wants the Corinthians to see is that your giving meets a basic material need. The Jerusalem church, that's who they were giving to. For those of you who maybe haven't heard the background of this series, the Corinthians live in the city of prosperity. They're giving to the Jerusalem church who are living in a city at a time of, uh, of lack and poverty. So their gift is going to meet a basic material need, but it doesn't stop there, does it? What Paul says is that when you give, it also produces thanksgiving. When you're generous, 
You take sadness and you turn it to thanksgiving. Here's how it works. There's somebody on the other side of the world or maybe on the other side of your neighborhood or maybe on the other side of this church today that's praying, God, do you see me? God, do you know my struggle? God, do you know my need? And when they're praying to God, do you see me? And you're hearing from God to respond in generosity. When that gift comes, it produces praise and thanksgiving. Maybe appreciation for you, but ultimately the glory goes to him. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been on the recipient side of this? Have you ever been in the season where you are praying, Lord, do you see me? Lord, do you know my need? And then God shows up. God shows up through the generosity of someone who maybe you didn't even talk to or even tell your need, be it spiritual or practical. What does that cause you to do when God shows up that way? It causes you to give him praise. And see, this is what all of creation is moving towards. All of it is moving towards the whole earth being full of the praise of God. This is what scripture predicts. This is what future things entail. This is our eschatology. In Romans chapter 15, what Paul tells us is that nations will praise God. That's the thrust of evangelism. Why do we share the gospel? It's because there are places on this planet where there are people who aren't praising God. And so we share the gospel to fill that void because we want to see Revelation 7 and 9. And what does Revelation 7 and 9 tell us? It pictures a day where every man, tribe, kindred, tongue, and language will be represented before the throne of God and we will sing praises to the Lamb, to the resurrected Lord, to the sovereign Savior, to the King of Kings, to Jesus Christ who is worthy of our praise. How many praise the name of our God? And through our generosity and through us sharing grace, we are already spreading the praise of God all over the world. That's the deeper fruit. The deeper fruit is not about oxygen tanks. The deeper fruit is not about getting food to those who don't have food. The deeper fruit is about provoking praise so that people can know that God is good, that he sees them that he cares for them, that he loves them. This is what Paul calls an inexpressible gift. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What is the inexpressible gift? It is Jesus. It is the gospel. It is the good news that a gracious God loves us with an everlasting love and you and I can be tangible expressions of that love to someone who is questioning, does God love? Does God change our hearts? Does Christ make a difference in our lives? We're all tempted to quickly say, yes, yes, he makes a difference, but do our marriages reflect that? Does our parenting reflect that he makes a difference? Does he make a difference in our speech, in our relationships, and yes, in our pocketbooks and in our generosity? If we're going to say yes, we have to say it not just with words, but with corresponding deeds. One final point on this is that ultimately, the goal of giving is not for me to get the praise, but for him to get the praise. 
That's why generosity, as often as possible, should be done as quietly as possible. It should be done in a way that ultimately does as much as possible to remove me from the story and to put Christ in the center, his church in the center, his work of grace through his people. That's what we should strive for because ultimately our desire is that the world would give him glory. And how many believe that that's gonna happen, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know as we close where this hits you today, um, but I do know this, that all of it points back to one big thing. It points back to obedience to Christ because of his grace to you. Maybe you find yourself feeling far from God. I want you to know this, that one decision changes everything. That decision to accept him as your Lord or maybe that decision to turn back to him. I know that the further I get away from God, the worse life goes. Anybody figured that out yet? The more I decide to dig my heels in and say, I'm, I'm like a stubborn child, I'm gonna do what I wanna do in spite of what I know your word tells me to do, the worst things work out for me. And again, I don't say that as a guilt trip. I believe that Christ has come to give us life and that more abundantly. But how do we experience that abundant life? It's through obedience. It's by receiving his grace. And what do you do when you're facing a situation that requires an obedience that you don't wanna give? an obedience that maybe seems beyond your ability to give. You look to him and say, Lord, I believe and receive the grace of Christ to obey you even in this. Maybe as I've been preaching today, you recognize I need his grace. I need Jesus. And if you're in here and you need Jesus, just know this is how much God loves you. He put together this whole service, orchestrated all of it, the worship, the preaching, all of it, just for you to be able to know his love. Don't leave today without surrendering your heart to Christ. And if you're watching online, know that he loves you too. All of this from our hearts to your home is so that you might give your life to Jesus. So please just type connect. We're gonna praise God today as we close. I wanna pray for us, everyone stand. I'm gonna close us in prayer and then we're gonna worship our King. Father, on this day where we thank you for the provision of, of parents, we have to thank you even more for the provision of a savior without which our souls would be lost. But Lord, what good is a gift if it's not first received? And so Lord, I pray that those who are desperately in need of your love would receive it. I pray that the God of peace would overcome anxiety and depression. I pray that the God of love would help those who feel unlovable, no love. I pray that the God of hope would fill every hopeless heart with hope. I pray that the God of mercy would forgive those who feel their sins have uh, been so great that there's no way they can be received by you. Help us to know that you love us to the uttermost. You're a friend to sinners. We thank you because if you weren't, none of us would be here. And so, Lord, we give you praise. Help us to be recipients of grace who are also generous givers of that grace. Bless our friends around the world. Help us to spread the gospel here locally as well. 
Help us our, to live lives that reflect your light and point people to the Savior of the world. It's in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus we pray. And all of God's people said a big amen. Let's worship him. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.